0: Well, good morning. Good morning to everybody on, online that's joining us. And um, I see a few Myers Park people here this morning. And I'm glad to be remembered. Uh, you haven't forgotten me. Uh, but since you're here on Stewardship Sunday, let me just say, fill out your pledge card to Selwyn. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to go cheating, you've got to pay the band to dance. So fill that pledge card out to Selwyn Presbyterian Church. Amen. Amen. What Laurie failed to mention was when we met her years ago, she was selling beer. And um, that's why I fell in love with her. And uh, so um, I was uh, blessed to be able to perform their wedding ceremony baptize children, be friends with them for all these years. and So coming back here is just the coolest thing in the world to uh, be a part of what Lori's doing with you and for you, and um, just to see the vitality of this congregation in the midst of a pandemic. We're all struggling to, to just be together and to be the church. You're doing a pretty good job of it. So thank you for having me, it's an honor to preach. I don't get to do it much anymore. I just preach at Catherine uh, during the day and when I'm finished, she says, okay, that's great, Uh, take out the trash. Uh, So I used to be somebody, but now I'm not. There, There is a man who is standing in the Gospels, at the very end of the gospels. And his name is Joseph of Arimathea, a a city that's no longer in existence. We don't know anything about this man, um, except that he went and asked for the body of Jesus from the cross to be placed in his own tomb. The story is found in all four Gospels, which is sort of unusual for stories to make it in all four. But Matthew tells us something about Joseph that the other three don't. Hear his version of Joseph's story. When it was evening, there came a rich man, from Arimathea, named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. So Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn in the rock. He then rolled a great stone to the door of the tomb and went away. The word of the Lord. Now see, only Matthew tells you that Joseph was a rich man. I'm not sure why the others left that part out, but Matthew gives it to you, who was a rich man. And, and I've, I wondered why do I need to know that? What about this story tells me that I need to know Joseph's financial status. Why would, you, why would you think to tell me that? Matthew doesn't tell you And Joseph was married to Becky. They had three children. He was a lawyer. No. He chooses not to tell you almost everything about this man except... He was a rich man. Joseph goes to Pilate and asks for the body of Jesus, which makes absolutely no sense. Because Rome crucified people to intimidate the masses, hung them on crosses in the public for them to suffer and die leave the body on the cross for days, and let it rot, to make a statement. They would post a plaque over the head of the criminal that would tell the crime. And then if you walked by the crucifix, and they crucified him in places where you'd have to see him, and you'd walk by and see the plaque, And Rome was saying, if you commit this crime, this is what will happen to you. It was meant to be disgusting and horrifying. And Jesus was falsely accused of claiming to be the king of the Jews, and yet the emperor of Rome was the only king. And so claiming to be a king was no small deal. It was as if Jesus were starting an insurrection. So if Pilate went to all this trouble to send a message to the masses that if you commit this crime, this is what will happen to you, it would be, wouldn't it be counterproductive? To allow the body of Jesus to be taken off the cross on the same day he was crucified? That makes no sense. You'd be wasting a good crucifixion, wouldn't you? A billboard taken down on the very day you put it up, which raises the question for me and maybe for us, who was this Joseph of Arimathea that he gets Pilate to release the body of Jesus on the very day he crucified him? Now Mark tells us that Joseph was, quote, a respected member of the council. Now, the council that he's talking about was the Jewish Sanhedrin, which were 70 elders chosen to lead the Jewish people, but always under the thumb of Rome. So the Sanhedrin could take care of the daily issues of the Jews, the holidays, the season, all of that but they were always under that oppressive thumb of Rome. And so Pilate would have worked with the council, with the Sanhedrin, as a Roman governor and the Jewish council, they would have worked together through the difficulties they had. So here's the point. Pilate would have known Joseph of Arimathea personally. They would have worked together on different issues. And as a member of the Sanhedrin, Joseph likely, therefore, had some political clout with Pilate. So Mark tells us this strange sentence. Joseph went boldly. Interesting word to pick. Joseph went boldly. You know what boldly is? That's when a two-year-old is mad at you and walks away. You know, you don't slip in to see Pilate like, You think maybe I could see Pilate today? Maybe, probably, maybe. What do you think? No, Mark gave you the word, boldly. He stumps in boldly to see the governor. Wouldn't you love to have been a fly on the wall at that meeting? I imagine it went something like this. Joseph gets into the office, And he says, thank you, governor, for allowing me to see you on such short notice without an appointment. I'll get right to the point. Uh, This morning, you crucified a carpenter from Nazareth. He claimed to be uh, king of the Jews. Pilate said, yeah. Yeah, I did. Made quite a stir, in fact. What of it? Well, sir, after uh, this Jesus is dead, I understand he's on the cross at this moment, I would like to have your permission to take his body and put it in my own personal tomb. And I'd like to do that before the Sabbath begins at 6 p.m. today, if, if, if possible. Pilate says, wait wait a minute, Joseph, why in the world would I give you the body of a traitor, an insurrectionist? On the same day I crucified him, it was your counsel, by the way, Joseph, that asked me to crucify him in the first place. And when the Sabbath begins or ends is of no consequence to me. I don't care about your Jewish Sabbath. Now Luke tells us that Joseph, quote, had not agreed to the council's plans and actions. So we know that Joseph voted against taking Jesus to Pilate for crucifixion. But even so, had he told Pilate that he was a disciple, a student of Jesus, and John says he was, quote, a secret one, he didn't tell anybody. If it had told Pilate, I'm one of his disciples, one of his students, I'd like to have his body and put it in my my own tomb, Pilate would have seen Joseph as also a traitor and perhaps one who would go for insurrection against the emperor of Rome, and I think would have crucified him also. If you're asking me to have mercy upon this criminal Jesus, who defies Rome, claims to be a king, If you care about this Jesus, maybe you don't care about Rome. Now, this was very, 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 very risky for Joseph to go to Pilate. So again, why would he release this body to this man? Who is this guy? Was it his guilt over sentencing an innocent man to death? I mean, we picked that up in the story that Pilate did not really see anything wrong with this guy. His wife told him not to do it. But it wouldn't be like a Roman governor to admit such guilt because that's a sign of weakness. And you can't let your people see you being weak. That can't be it. But here's another thought I had. Could Joseph have purchased the body of Jesus from Pilate? Why else would Matthew have told you he was what? Did he bribe Pilate? Did he make a generous contribution to the Pilate Foundation? (laughs) Did Joseph purchase the body of Christ? Wouldn't that be a story? And how much did he pay for it? See, we don't know because there's no details about this meeting. In fact, they chop it off. All the Gospels chop off and say, and Joseph boldly went into Pilate and requested the body of Jesus, and Pilate ordered it to be given to him. (laughs) Do you know what they left out of that? Everything. What happened in that room? How did this man, Joseph, get this governor of Rome, to give him the body of Jesus at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Friday. I don't know, but there's no way he walked in there and just asked for the body and got it. I think he bought it. But something else about this story doesn't make any sense, and that's that God used a rich man to get this done because the Bible is pretty well known for broadcasting warnings to the rich. You know what they are. Jesus, remembered, You remember the story of the young rich ruler. He was rich. Jesus said, go divest yourself. Divest yourself. Divest yourself. In other words, get rid of the wealth. Wow, and then come follow me. And when he refused, here's what Jesus said to his students. He said, look, I'm going to tell you this. It'll be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Man, those are bad words for you and me because we're rich. It will be hard. You know what? Jesus never said it would be hard to do anything else. He never said, you know what? It's going to be really hard to be crucified. He never said that. He didn't say this when he got out of the boat. You know what? It's going to be hard to walk on water. This is going to be hard. He never said that. When the storm came and he parted the the whole thing, he didn't say, see that storm? That's going to be hard. No. One time he used the word and when he used it he was talking about the rich. Well it's easy to figure that out because we're insulated from whatever and you believe that you can make things happen and you believe you can buy your way through it and it's just hard to be rich and be humble. It just is. And it's hard to be rich and Feel like you need God unless something goes, you know, wrong. Get a diagnosis or something happens, and, and then you get religious. I don't know. He only used the word one time. Hard. It will. I tell. He tells the disciples it's going to be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom. Within well, James, in his little letter, he writes. Let the believer who is lowly boast in being raised up, and the rich in being brought low, because the rich will disappear like a flower in the field. He's talking about us. Well, he's talking about me. And compared to the rest of the world, I know I'm just a Presbyterian minister. But compare me to all the people we've met in places we've been around the world. I'm rich. Because the rich will disappear like a flower in the field. The word of the Lord. No, you can't be thankful for that. (laughs) Habakkuk, the prophet, proclaimed, Moreover, wealth is treacherous. The arrogant do not endure. This is Bible talk. And then Matthew fires a direct shot over the bow. Matthew says, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and wealth. And yet, and yet, and yet. Joseph of Arimathea was a what? Rich man. Jesus never asked him to divest. I mean, we know nothing about this guy. We don't know how he met Christ. We don't know how he became a secret disciple. We don't know how Jesus got into him. But somehow it happened. And yet Christ didn't say to him, Joseph, look, I want you to go divest yourself. Make sure you sell that very expensive tomb you've got. No. All these warnings fired at us through the scriptures are are valid warnings, but Matthew says, let me just tell you this about Arimathea. You don't need to know who he's married to, how many children he has, what he did for a living. don't even know how old he was. But I'm going to tell you this. He was a rich man. You need to know that. Now here's, here's what I think. I, I, I think the God of the universe does not need anything from humankind. There's over two trillion galaxies in the universe. Two trillion. The God of two trillion galaxies does not need a pledge card from me. Don't get any ideas, though. You still got to turn that in. (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? I mean, we think little old God needs some tokenism from me or needs something from me. Not money, not influence, certainly not a grant a grave. God doesn't need anything from Joseph or from Pilate. because See, this story tells me more about God than it does about Joseph. God allows us to participate in the work of God. That's what's going on here with Joseph. I don't need your money. I don't need your political clout. I don't need you to persuade Pilate. I could breathe upon the earth and shake the foundations of the world. I don't need you. But I'm going to use you. And I'm going to let you participate with me in something great. I am. God has used the most unlikely people in the Bible. You know that. God has used the rich today. He's used the poor, the the widow and her might. God has used Jews, but also Gentiles and pagans. God has used males, and God has used females. God's used the educated in the Bible, but also God used the uneducated. Those disciples, they're all so uneducated. God used saints, and God used sinners. He turned on the cross and said to the thief, This day you will be with me in paradise but I'm not going to get off this cross and do anything. I I won't do any good works. I won't teach Sunday school. I won't give a pledge. I'm not going to do anything. This day you will be with me in paradise. I don't need, God doesn't need Joseph of Arimathea for anything, but he chooses to allow him to be a part of it. It's not so much that God needs us as it is that God allows us to participate in what God is doing. Now, we talk about stewardship in the church. I know that's the thing today. But we talk about it as if it means a financial contribution to the church. Over the years, I've come to see stewardship as much, 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 much bigger than that. The definition of stewardship in the dictionary is this: "Quote, the job of supervising or taking care of something." Stewardship, the job, the work of supervising or taking care of something. So what is that something? If God has entrusted me with my life, which God has, two trillion universes and I get to be here with you today, this is my life, I've been entrusted with this life, you've been entrusted with yours. If God has entrusted me with my health, my family, my work, my finances, my influence, And even my time, then I have, quote, the job of supervising or taking care of something. And that something is all of it. All of it. What do I do with all of it? So, in a sense, there can't be a stewardship season. It can't be limited to the fall, and it can't be limited to a pledge card. It sure can't be um, limited to you know, 10% of my net or gross worth. It's all of it. It's my children and my five grandchildren and a sixth one on the way. It's my wife, it's my home, it's my mother-in-law who lives with us. It's, it's my work and my life and my passion It's the way I take care of my body. It's what I do with my time. It's stewardship, it's all of it. It's how much I drink or not, how much I eat. It's what I say with my tongue, stewardship. What comes out of here? So stewardship is Joseph standing. I can just almost see him. The crucifixion has happened over here. Joseph is standing near his It's very nearby. I can almost see him just standing there, hands clasped at the end of the gospel on a Friday afternoon, by the way, with all the right stuff, With all the political clout, with all the money, he was rich. And with a hand chiseled tomb, a Mercedes Benz of a tomb, the Jesus who hung around poor people his entire ministry, touched leopards, pointed out widows, given a mite, always there with the oppressed, is buried in a Mercedes Benz tomb. It's almost comical. If it weren't true, it'd be funny. Stewardship is Joseph standing there with everything. The clout to get in to see Pilate. Whatever he did to get that body out. The linen cloth he had to go buy. The tomb he had carved out thinking it was for him, but it never was all of it belonged to God? What part wouldn't of your life, what part wouldn't belong to God? Catherine and I have been in that tomb like many of you have. And when I, you know, I was just in awe of it. I mean, of course you are. And they... I had this nasty guard who was grumpy and, you know, pushed us in. and Hurry up, hurry up, you know, and all that. And we went in and knelt down before the slab, and all you could do is weep because I'm kneeling here where the Christ, where his body lay. And then it dawned on me, I'm in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. But it was never his. That's stewardship. It belonged to God. And Joseph had no idea what was going to happen in that tomb when he went to Pilate. He didn't know the resurrection was going to happen. He didn't know that in three days we'd be off this map and all that. He was just doing what he needed to do in the moment. And the ripple effect of stewardship is forever. You have no idea. What your money or your time or your clout is going to accomplish. You just be faithful and let God do the rest of it. And in that tomb, the tomb of a rich man, God raised Jesus from the dead. Joseph didn't do that. His money didn't do that. His clout didn't do that. He had nothing to do with that except it was in his tomb. And in that tomb, we were reconciled to God. Joseph got to be a part of that. What are, what, are you, what are you and I part of? What are we participating in that is the work of God in the world? And wherever you find that, go attach yourself to that. Go do that. And be a part of that, Joseph or Josephine. Go do that. We're called to the job of supervising and taking care of something. And that something (laughs) is
1: all of it. It's all of it.
0: Let us pray. God, in your mercy, would you use us in this world of need, overwhelming world of need? In the way you use Joseph of Arimathea, standing at the cross and being overwhelmed with the evil of it, the injustice of it, What seemed to be a dead end, and in his stewardship, you used him, and you did something he couldn't do. You loved the world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.
2: let us continue our worship and prayer. Almighty sovereign God of the empty tomb, we give thanks for your holy invitation to participate in the coming of your reign. We also give thanks for the chance to worship you this morning, and yet as soon as we slow down, our thoughts are far from quiet. We are wrestling with doubts and fears. We're looking for answers. We're hoping against hope. We're seeking strength. We're hungry for a sense of wholeness and peace, for healed bodies, for rest from tears. Your holy word says the hungry will be filled, and so we ask today for you to fill us with the breath of life, fill us with thankful hearts, fill us with calmness, courage, and most of all, the knowledge of your presence. For you alone know the loneliness and thus the terror of our lives. Indeed, you know us better than we know ourselves. Give us knowledge of us, so we might not be so alone. Be with those who seem simply lost, abandoned, or alienated from friends and from you. Especially, O God, we pray for the youth of Myers Park High School, many who grieve the untimely death of their friend, Kobo Ishii, wrap his family in a blanket of comfort, and give us the courage to proclaim eternal life and resurrection, even in the face of this loss. We look to you, O God, to be present in our communities and in our world. Continue to show us how we at Selwyn Avenue can be part of your work in the world. We know that you are calling us to boldly go, to sacrifice, to risk, to advocate, to forgive, and to love. We ask that you bless the work of our hands, bless the prayers of our hearts, bless all that we offer today in stewardship. Yes, our money, but also our time and our talents and every part of who we are. And now we gather all our prayers together, the spoken and the unspoken, and we pray the prayer that your Son taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, as we consider what it might mean to turn back to God in discipleship, I invite our elder, Suzanne Newsom to present our invitation to discipleship this morning.
3: train up a child that line train up a child that line from proverbs 22:6 has been the story of my life i am a child of this church i was a bride in this church i'm now the widow of a man who loved this church and in the stewardship season I must tell you that I'm a pledging member of Selwyn Avenue Presbyterian Church my parents Richard and Betty Sue Newsom, brought me to Selwyn before I could walk down the aisle to a children's sermon my father would hand me the envelope to place in the offering plate as it passed by and later he made sure that Eli and Andrew did the same. Our Wink and Worter sons were baptized here and confirmed here with all of the questioning that arrives with discerning, what do we believe? How does this world work? In the season of my life, I've asked the same questions last spring, how It's my world going to work. But you know what? It's not my world. It's not my world. It's God's world. So here I am to tell you that I'm still struck by how deeply Selwyn loves its people. Yes, our family has been deacons and elders several generations over and Sunday school teachers and circle and choir members, but we never expected the return that we have received. Stitches and prayer shawls that wrap us in love, strength and support in hospital rooms, words and actions in person and in posts and in the mail, children with happy memories shared with me, Meals nurturing our bodies when we've no energy to help ourselves. A network of people answering questions for which I didn't know that I would need the answer. Songs that lift our spirits and that help me to sing my own melody. I thank God for this community that surrounds our family with love in our time of grief. I know I'm not alone. I am enough, and I know there will be enough. If you have made a pledge to Selwyn, as have I, it has had an impact on someone in a positive way, I am so certain. Selwyn's members demonstrate its mission both here on our campus and beyond. If you're here as a visitor, I welcome you, as someone did my family when we said yes, This is a place to grow in the love of Christ. If you are wondering where you are in this crazy pandemic time of life, I challenge you to just breathe and pause and listen. And then do the next right thing. Train up a child in the way that she should go. And when she is old, She shall not depart from it.
2: And now let us present our tithes and offerings. Let us dedicate our gifts to God using the prayer printed in your bulletin.
3: Generous God, through your Son, Jesus Christ, you have shown us what it means to love. By your covenant of
2: grace, write your law of love on our hearts. Give us unwavering passion and tenacious faith until the hungry are fed, the oppressed find peace, and the outsider belongs. You are our God. We are your people. May our commitments and offerings of time, talent, and treasure
3: exhibit God's reign to the world. Amen.
0: an honor to be with you uh, this morning I really do appreciate uh, the opportunity to preach it's it's just so rare for me and to be invited uh, to be back and be with you this morning uh, (coughs) excuse me was a treat indeed but I hate getting out preached and um, when Suzanne stepped up and told her story I went you really did not need me to come (laughs) Uh, what, a, what a bold story and testimony that was. And the kids, you did a great job. It takes a lot of guts to stand up in front of people who look like that. <laughs> and, and sing, and I really appreciate it. It's just been a good day. Good day to be together um, in, in worship. The blessings of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit now go with all of us as we go back into the world and live out our stewardship. Yeah.